What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Always So Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sakasa, and I'm truly grateful to have you joining me for today's episode. Well, okay, we like to talk about vocations and discernment on the Always So Podcast. It's a topic of conversation that comes up quite frequently. And today I want to take a systemic approach to the question of vocation and ask what can parishes and schools do better to increase awareness about vocations? And since it is National Vocations Week, I thought it'd be a great time to share this episode. So to help me think through this question is Rhonda Grunewald, author of the books Hundredfold and the Harvest and founder of the ministry Vocation Ministry. In today's episode, we talk about her journey of faith and what led her to start a ministry dedicated to helping parishes and schools create a culture of vocations, how to talk to your kids about the various vocations to priesthood, religious life, and marriage without putting too much pressure on them, and examining a few of the many practical suggestions that she offers in her resources. On her website, she has a ton of practical suggestions about what you can do at your parish or at your school, and we just touch on a couple of those in today's episode. But when the show is done, please check us out at faithandmarriage.org to catch up on past episodes of the Always Hope podcast, read our blog, inquire about upcoming speaking events, or sign up for one of our upcoming marriage retreats. Glad to be on the road again, offering some lectures now that the pandemic seems to be at least passing for the time being. So we keep praying for that. But anyways, let's get into this episode with Rhonda Grunewald. Rhonda Grunewald, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we, I appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine. I'm, I'm grateful to, to have this conversation that we're going to have about vocations and, and growth in vocations and how we who are in parishes or in ministries or even in our own families can help create a culture of vocations, which is a word that you use often in your, in your resources, which I think is really beautiful. Um, as a marriage therapist myself who's been trained in systemic theories, I, I always love being able to look at these questions, not just at the individual level, but then even at broader kind of cultural systemic levels and asking questions of, of how do we, because we do, we emerge from the culture that we're in and we emerge from the culture that we're raised in. Um, and so how does our culture kind of help uh, foster kind of growth in, in discernment and growth and understanding what God's will is for us and allowing that to be open? open-ended process. So anyways, we're going to get into all of that in the podcast. So so thanks so much for, for joining me on the show. Um, well, I guess really just the first question, honestly, Rhonda, is is, is uh, what led you to this work? Uh, what what led you to to want to dedicate your life here to vocation ministry and, and helping parishes and schools and, and families being able to, to foster uh, vocation growth and development within their settings? Well, it was not my plan. <laughs> <laughs> Usually how that works. I did not sit down one day and say, ooh, I'm going to tackle the problem of the church that's been plaguing us for a while. Vocations. All right. Step one. No. <laughs> you mean when you were a little girl in elementary school and teacher asked you, what do you want to be when you grew up? That wasn't what you wrote down in your little essay? <laughs> no. I always wanted to be a teacher. Oh, beautiful. Um, and so I was a mm -hmm. teacher. I um, So I didn't grow up with any faith whatsoever. Okay. So not in the Catholic church, not in any church. My dad, dad didn't want the Bible read in the house. My mom was Methodist. We went to church a handful of times, had no connection to God or Jesus. Wow. Um, I ended up, they, they divorced when I was 12. And then I went to University of Texas in Austin for college and then started teaching English and coaching speech and debate at a large public high school wow. in Houston. Horns, I feel like I need to say that, right? Is that talking to UT? <laughs> Oh yeah, there you go. And um, and so at that point, there was a church, a Methodist church down the road, and I, I felt this yearning. I, you know, I should probably go. I should go to church. What what drew you to that? I mean, even just just stopping there. I'm sorry. Like you're saying, you grew up in a home that didn't faith wasn't anything important. You went to large public school that I'm sure faith wasn't a big part there. Obviously. Uh, as you're teaching, what led you to start asking that question? Like, maybe I should start even going to church to begin with. Uh, I, I mean, it really just, I kept passing it. Hmm. I mean, and I don't know if maybe a few students, I mean, it, it was a fairly Christian environment, even okay. though it's a, it was a public school, it's in the more country, big public country school. And yeah. so um, more faith-filled kids there than in, in other places. And I really don't know why, but I, I'm thankful for that because 
I just, I started going. And then one day there was somebody being baptized at, at the church. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that happened for me. I should probably do that. And I call my mom and I'm like, mom, do I sound or baptize? And she's like, no, you know, the Methodist church, you do that later. Right. And it was, that was when my parents were having a lot of marital issues. So I was on the back burner as Mm -hmm. my faith life and any, that that would have been important to them. And, um, and so I get baptized in the Methodist church when I'm 25. Wow. I know. So good part about that is I got rid of a lot of sin because college happened and these are good things, right? You know, that just Praise try God. to look at it, the positive side that even though it was late, it, it finally happened. And, um, and then from there on church was a regular part of my world. That's good. And it was the next year that I met my husband, David, uh, now 24 years we've been married and he was just Catholic enough to say, I can't get married over there. Wow. Like, it wasn't so I just say, oh, praise God, you know, for all those parents worrying about their kids, you know, and, you know, they raised them in the faith, but maybe they're not practicing very much, you know, anymore or a little bit, you yes. know, that the seeds planted really did make a difference in, in our life, in my life. And just the fact that he knew that that getting married in the Methodist church wasn't going to be right for him. Yeah, I'm and, amazed by just stop there because I know we're gonna be talking about discernment and vocation, all these big questions. But it, it, anchoring this conversation right out of the gates, and I think this is beautiful as you share your story, is that uh, you know God has a plan, and uh, and 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 not just that God has a plan, but that the journey of faith is really that it is a journey, and and it is a an individual journey. And sometimes we we take dips and turns along the road. Sometimes we get off the path, but but we, we always try to bring ourselves back to this, and so. Um, trusting that, like you said, you know, for parents that the seeds have been planted, they're there, they're, they're, they're not extinguished, but that hopefully, you know, things, people find their way back, um, in, in their own work, you know, time and place. So continue. Amen. And I mean, I, I think that there, there, uh, since coming from such a broken home and my dad was an alcoholic an adulterer, I mean, I, I did not have much of a, a male role model that was positive in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course in, in, that affects your relationship to God and your husband. Yeah. And there's no way that it, and you just have to work your way through that. Right. I mean, so just the fact that I said, yeah, I mean, obviously I was just so in love with David hmm. that, that I was willing to, um, to get married in the Catholic church because I knew that meant that I didn't, I needed to raise my children Catholic. Right. And if I was going to do that, I had to become Catholic. Now, I, I did feel very strongly that if, if I was going to raise my children, I was not going to do to my children what my parents did to me with the battle of church, no church. You know, I mean, what that looked like was not going to happen for me. So I said, well, I am going to become Catholic. Now, it did not happen right away. Um, we get we do get married in the church and then we find a parish home and I'm now I'm ready to go through RCIA. Well, I am pregnant now with our daughter, Abby. Now, imagine this. I'm teaching full time in high school, mm-hmm. which is a very high energy mm-hmm. job anyway. Yeah. And going through RCIA at night. <laughs> while I'm teaching, while it was pregnant. not that was not where I was energized with my faith or I took a deep dive in RCIA. That was a, a step on the rung of the ladder that I had to do to um, become, I felt like I needed, okay, I need to become Catholic to raise my children, but it wasn't that that did it for me because I was exhausted. I was like, are we done yet? I mean, it was, that's sad. I mean, I, I admit this because there's not everybody has, is that experience what you mm-hmm. hope it would be mm-hmm. anyway. So And so being pregnant, we were planning on coming into the Easter vigil. I'm very excited, right? I end up giving birth that night. (laughs) After the vigil or or before? The vigil didn't happen for me. It happened. It just didn't happen for me. Like I wasn't there. (laughs) So um, actually, Abby, our daughter, was born right around the time when I would have come into the church. Like It was around 1030 at night. 
you know, that's when all would happen. Um, so it's a different, a different this was a different birth. You thought you were birthing into the church and you were giving birth instead. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, but, um, so she was baptized and I was confirmed at the same mass, June 13th, 1999. Wow. So it was a great year. There's a song about it. How important 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live like it. That's it. It's great. Party like it. I should say party like it. It's, like, yeah. it's a big part. <laughs> so then... Then we we got more involved at church, like just, okay, going on a regular basis, like you see, as you were talking about the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And then we went to a stewardship fair or ministry fair at our church, and there was a marriage ministry. And I was very interested in that because as a young woman, the, mar- the marriages around me were pretty toxic Okay, in subdivision life. Mm. And I know there's some mamas out there that can relate to what I am saying. It's the let's play bunko. Let's drink a lot. uh, Let's talk poorly about our husbands. Like this is very typical young adult married life. If you let it be that. Right. But that was happening. And I was like, I don't like this. But I don't know what to do about it. I didn't. I I didn't like what that was going to lead us to. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this marriage, this ministry fair, and I saw this marriage ministry. I'm like, okay, maybe this is it. So we go. It's called Living Matrimony, and I saw there was it was run by like four couples, and I was looking at these women going, they are glowing. What did they do? Are they all on some diet? Like what is happening here? And it wasn't, I, it was a diet of the Holy spirit. That's what it was. <laughs> That's what I found out because I I'm pretty bold in by nature. Uh-huh. So at, at that first meeting, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And where did you get that? <laughs> and, and they told me they were, they, they told me it was steeping their marriage in, what was uh, put on by Regnum Christians called Familia. It's not, while it is Spanish for family, it's not, it's, um, it is more, it's rooted in John Paul, John Paul II's encyclicals on the family. Right. So I had seven years. So that started a journey for me, seven years with these 15 women Hmm. journeying. And I, we did a year on Mary a year on being a Catholic woman um, and a wife and a mother and all these things that I needed to know because I had no clue. Like if you feel like you're a lifelong Catholic and you don't, you're still struggling in that, mm-hmm. imagine the convert. I didn't even know. Why are we talking to saints? <laughs> what, and how, how come all these people know their feast days? Like I'm having a hard time keeping up with my birthdays in the family. What? <laughs> I didn't understand so much. And I felt like going to being from nothing to Catholic uh-huh. and trying to do it well, what that looks like, I w- it was like it's like zero to hundred miles per hour. Like, yeah, but you took your time doing it though. I mean, it's like you said, like even with the RCA, you took a step and you're like, I'm doing this because I love my husband, you know, like I and and because I love my kids, even though I don't have them right now. I know this is, I didn't, I don't want my kids to experience the same thing that I experienced, and so that means we're gonna have to do things differently, which means I have to become Catholic. And so, like, man, God uses all things, you know, for our conversion. It's it's really it's really absolutely remarkable. Um, but then moving along with that and saying, okay, I, I don't want to be around communities that are gossiping or that are speaking bad or that are really toxic, if we can use a buzzword, you know, to my marriage and to to the type of life that I want to be living. And so, how do I find something better? And there it is. You know, God provides the answer. That ministry fair. Who knew? I didn't know those things actually worked. That's incredible. I'm really happy to hear that. You know, like <laughs> they do. And I'm so I'm, I can be cynical sometimes about some of these things. But man, I'm grateful that that it found you and it worked. And that's fantastic. And it, um, and you stepped into that and and you kept going. So seven years of this kind of in, in you know intentional formation with these women, with with these families, growing in your faith, knowing the litur the, the liturgy, knowing that the 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 the, the the feast days and all the other fun stuff that comes with being a Catholic. Um, where did that lead you? And how did that, how did that journey find its, its, uh, con- I don't say conclusion because the journey's not over, but find, find you where you are now in vocation ministry. So in two, so then, so came in the church in 1999 in 2011, we're at a new parish for us 
and they're having, they have a brand new priest, Father Victor Perez. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know me very well. He just knew that I was going to mass. He, as a family, he saw us um, praying in front of Planned Parenthood, like just to see me around campus and called out of the blue one day and said, can you and your husband come to a meeting about priests and such in three hours at church? <laughs> Thanks, Father. Thanks for the lead time on that one. <laughs> I love it. I love that it was so vague. I love that our priests are so busy that they're just like, oh, hey, can you just come? <laughs> like, just, um, well, the truth is, I, we go, but I have no clue what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, it was in the fall, 10 years ago, I didn't know what the word vocation meant in the Catholic context. Mm-hmm. But Father Victor was convicted that this is one of the most important things we could do at our parish. Mm-hmm was to promote and pray for vocations to priesthood, religious life, and sacramental marriage. Well, I'm so, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm in with you. Yes, let's do this. So we, um, I go home and I'm Googling what's a vocation. (laughs) (laughs) And he was tasked with resurrecting the parish vocation committee. So I'm thinking if I put parish vocation committee in there, there's going to be something that drops out of Google, tells me how I'm doing this, how I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> the convert, right? Um, but there wasn't. So we just let the Holy Spirit guide us um, with a lot of instruction from Father Victor, knowing the lack of in- information I had, um, that we just, we started praying. Uh, we started adoration for vocations at our parish, praying for vocations after every daily mass getting the kids in the school, praying. So a lot of prayer and doing really crazy, fun ways of educating and bringing awareness to vocations. Like at, we had a vocations booth at our parish festival where we played like pin the miter on the bishop. We had fun. We, we just brought fun. We brought seminarians in, sisters in, all, all we could think of to do. And about two years into that, the archdiocese said, how can we do that all over Houston? And um, I said, well, maybe I could write a pamphlet. So the pamphlet turned into my first book, Hundredfold, mm-hmm. A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry. It was everything I wish I would have known in 2011 mm-hmm. and didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so it's all, I wanted to save people a lot of time and heartache because as Father Victor explained it to me at that very first meeting, every parish is supposed to be doing this. Right. If every parish is supposed to be doing this, but there was no real like universal guide to tell us how to do it, it's no wonder it was a failure mm-hmm. in the fact that there wasn't a, a, you know, 80% of parishes doing it because it takes so much fortitude and perseverance to start a new ministry right. at a parish. So, so, um, we had, and then I launched vocationministry.com where all the resources are for somebody who wants to do this work. And I thought I was done. I thought, oh, yeah, I did it. I did what God asked me to do. I'm done. <laughs> and you know, that one it because each yes leads to another yes. And so I go to this vocation directors conference. Every diocese has a vocation director who's a priest, right? They all come together at a conference. And so I'm there telling them about my book. Mm-hmm. And I, what I come to find out is many of them had read it because, see, there wasn't anything else out there. <laughs> right, right. And and they're like, can you come speak to our priests? Can you come speak to our parishioners? And I was like, what? Did you read the part of the book where I'm a convert? Converts can't talk to priests. Don't they know it's a rule? It, that is definitely a rule. That's what I thought. <laughs> <I'm so funny. laughs> I hope that's not a rule. (laughs) Well, it wasn't my head at the time, (laughs) but I just, they kept putting in front of me. And so I finally, I said, yes. And it got to my teacher's heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a heart of a teacher. I wanted to teach and um, I stopped teaching when Abby was born. Okay. So here we are fast forward. And now this is another opportunity to teach. It was something I wasn't expecting to teach, but okay. So we came up with workshops and we just gave our 100th workshop in our 48th diocese in five and a half years. That's amazing. So again, knowing that it was a, it was, there was a deficit at my parish for vocations and for when I Googled and tried to find something for vocations, but I didn't realize the depth of the deficit in the church at large for resources to help people create a culture of vocations at their parish, priests or parishioners. And 
through through these workshops over the course of the five years, I've been, I would get, do you have anything for teachers? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything for schools or a catechist or, and I would be like, well, you can take the hundredfold ideas and adapt them to your situation. But I knew that wasn't the right answer, but that was all the answer I had at the moment. Right. Um, and then when COVID hit, and I could no longer travel to give workshops. My prayer turned to for the Holy Spirit. I did not want to waste the time that we were given. Even though I couldn't travel, I knew that God's still calling. He's still calling all through all of this. Men and women to say yes. So I wanted my time to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. So I, I started interviewing teachers and catechists and homeschool parents and um, campus ministers and say, what are you doing for vocations? What could you do? What could you see that's impactful? And so I had I conducted all these interviews and then the wrestling started. I started wrestling with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell everybody out there that you lose when you wrestle with the Holy Spirit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> what did you say? But that's a good idea, Holy Spirit. But I don't think I really want to do that. <laughs> I was wrestling big time because I had written a book and I know how hard that is. Yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> For people who don't it, know, it's hard. Yes. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. So, and it's I not glamorous call, work either. It's, it's, it's yeah. you in front of a computer just buckling down and. It is. It focusing. is like find the words. Yeah. <laughs> now, thankfully, I have St. Alphonsus Liguori with me. He's yeah. a first class, his first class relic is with me, especially when I'm writing. Oh, beautiful. Because I need his help. <laughs> and as you heard me talk about, why do we need the saints? Well, I learned very quickly why <laughs> I needed the saints' help. But so I call the Harvest a Guide to Vocation Ministry my COVID baby. <laughs> I'm not, there's no, you know, diaper changing or anything like that. But that's what happened for me during COVID is I gave birth to this new baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so needed and I'm so glad it's done. And there, I mean, a lot of work needs to now happen. It's going to be in the hands of educators across North America. And, and what my hope is that it normalizes discernment Mm -hmm. because there are some places in uh, North America that are hot pockets for discernment. I feel like you're in one of them. Mm -hmm. Louisiana uh, Louisiana in general is, is, has more of a Catholic culture than most places. Yes, I would, I uh, agreed. Having lived in many different places my life, yeah, I'm I'm not from Louisiana. And so having moved here, even being here now nine years, it's still, it's still new to me (laughs) that it's, that it's that. So So there's also Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so there are hot pockets, and I've met people enough people from those places where they said, "Yeah, it's pretty normal to discern mm-hmm. the priesthood." Like, mm-hmm. you know, they would be talking to guys, and they were like, "Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, I thought that was just what everybody did, and right. and it should be what like every young man should be discerning: is God calling them to that? Yeah, before they just jump into marriage or you know so, uh, the other vocation." Sure, sure. No, I think that's right. And and uh, so the last five years, then you've been exp- like really, what started as something ten years ago just at your parish has 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 expanded here and blown up here in the last you know five to six years, like you've said, and being able to take this message, which is an incredibly practical approach, which I think is is what's needed. I mean, I think we 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 know all the theology, you know, of 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 of, of vocations. But sometimes translating that down to the very practical, pragmatic level is is where we uh, we don't do as well as Catholics. If I could say that, you know, in the Catholic culture, sometimes we we can miss the the steps that lead us towards then what the ideal is. Um, and so it seems that you've you very much narrowed down, which I think is the right approach on on establishing can not even at the diocesan level, not at the broad level, but at the vo- most local level. How does a parish create a culture of vocation? How does a school create a cultural vocation? How does a family create an environment where conversations about vocations is just it's just normal? It's just part of part of it. Um, and again, helping your kids discern whatever their whatever their 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 call might be. You know whether that is towards um, priesthood, 
uh, or religious life or to marriage, but just to begin op- begin having those conversations at an early age so that it just feels like it's something normal. Um, and I know that's conversations that we have at, in, in my house regularly. I could say even in my own discernment as I, as I went into marriage, so my story is is a little bit different in the sense that I was raised Catholic for sure. I'm I'm I'm, I'm from Nicaragua. I'm, I'm Hispanic, and so you know, Catholic. We're cultural. It's part of what we are. Uh, but I had my conversion in college, like uh, like many people do nowadays, for sure. And uh, and it was there that I had a real turnaround from what my life was before to what it was then, and what it is now. And so that first year was really just kind of putting pieces together, figuring out what does it mean to live as a Catholic, to mean as somebody who's really faithful to to the teachings of the faith, and really trying to grow my spiritual life. And then the second year was really beginning asking these questions of discernment and what does God want out of my life? And so I discerned a little bit the religious life and a little bit, um, you know, seminaries, uh, not seminary, but, but priesthood, but, uh, but very clearly felt called to, to marriage. And so after that year, you know, met my wife and, you know, the, the rest is history. And so I've never, I've never, never looked back or never, never felt uh, like I missed something in my discernment or anything, but but I felt faithful that at least I I was open to whatever God's call was for my life, and I think it's that openness that's that's needed. And so I think right there, it's the approach that I try to take even with my kids in terms of helping them find a balance. Like I don't I don't want to pressure them. Okay, that's one thing. You know, to say that you you will be a better person if you become a priest. I, I don't believe that. Um, I believe that you'll be the best version of yourself if we can use that language and whatever the path is that God has for you. And our job is to mutually discern that for you. And so I don't want to put any pressure on them. Um, and I've, I've been very active in, in not putting pressure on them. So the story I'll share with you right now is when I was at the seminary working at Notre Dame Seminary, um, we, you know, the question always comes, I have four boys. And so the kids were always around and the seminaries always love to joke with them and be like, oh, guys, you know, you're future priests, you know, whatever, you know, future seminarians, you know, type of thing. And and so one particular day we were at a at a work site. There was a flood that had happened um, in, in St. Martinville, Louisiana. And so the seminary was doing a kind of a, not a build, but a, but a cleanup effect, effort, you know, of some of the houses in the community there. So I took my oldest son with me, who at the time I think was 14. And, uh, and we went to, uh, probably even younger than that. He's probably like 12 or something. So we went, him and I, we went to, to the, to this, this cleanup effort of these homes that were, you know, destroyed by this flood. And as we're there, some of the seminarians were there as well, kind of cleaning up and helping and, uh, and they, you know, they, I just, I don't know, I think that day I just, I just wasn't in the mood to, 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 for them to put pressure on my, on my 12 year old. And, uh, and so they're like, ah, you know, here we go. There's a future seminary, you know, something like that. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. It's it, the Lord's will. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, uh, and while we're speaking about it, said, I don't know about most of you guys either, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> said, Said, I don't know. Whatever the Lord wants, we'll find out. You know, we got a couple of years. So, so I just kind of, I just kind of threw it back at them, kind of tug at cheek like that. And they all laughed, but they got it very clearly, you know. And it was like, we're just, hey, <clears throat> whatever the God wants, genuinely, if God's calling him, I want to be attentive to that. I, I want to respond to that. I want to encourage that for sure. But if God's not calling, I, I want, I don't want to put pressure on him either. And so as you're establishing, thinking about this, you know, culture of vocations at a parish, at a family, how do you thread that needle uh, between being open and promoting vocations while not putting pressure on kids to uh, to say this is what you have to do? So, first of all, I think the question in a lot of people's mind is why are we doing this so mm-hmm. early? Like, why would we be focusing on kindergarten, like to even be talking about any of this? And the the stats are year after year, the newly ordained say they first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age, like three quarters of them first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age. The problem is what's happening is they hear the call and then it's not nurtured. It's not talked about. No, there's no prayer for vocations there. They think they're alone and it goes in one ear and out the other. Well, so I want to stop you there because in, in the book, The Harvest, here you, you do have a stat um, that's taken from uh, the care one of the care studies that says exactly that. It said, and, and this actually this surprised me. You said thirty four percent of priests felt the call in elementary school from six to thirteen. A third that's that's a high number. Um, I wouldn't have exactly, expected exactly, but that. most it's, of them don't remarkable. end up then di- really discerning right. until college. If they then discern at all, right. most of the 
I would say the vast majority are we have lost vocation. They're they're lost but they're vocations walking around who are married that should have been, you know, like God really called them to be a priest, but they're now married. Because- yeah. And so let's be clear about like, because I, I believe vocations is is both, you know, in sense of like, you know, there's a call to marriage. I feel very called. I, I felt and still feel called to, to, to be married to my wife. And uh, that is the vocation that God called me to. Um, and so I, I, similar then with friends of mine who I know I'm working in the, in the seminary and, and working for IPF and, and certainly assisting and having been involved for many, many years in seminary formation, um, I believe that there's a call as well, you know, towards the priesthood. And so I, I want to be clear, even when we talk about vocations, that sometimes in our regular parlance, we, we, we speak vocations and we, we, what we really mean is vocations to the celibate life, um, I mean vocations in, in both contexts. Oh, it is. It's priesthood, religious life, and sacramental, sacramental marriage. And right. if we don't have marriages striving for holiness, we won't have the others either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we need them to be striving for holiness for their own sake, but right. then also for the sake that most uh, sisters and priests come from families that are intact seeking holiness. Right. So so it's we, we've got to have all of that. But my point, my point is, is that if if a young person is called to the priesthood or uh, Sally in kindergarten wants to be a sister, mm-hmm. we should be uh, age appropriately encouraging them, yeah. putting it in front of them to say that's good and a holy, worthy aspiration and that that's something to pray about. And that God does have a big plan for your life, Sally. And I hope that, you know, you keep praying to find out what that is. Because if we, if to normalize discernment, we need to have discernment groups in every every Catholic high school, every campus ministry should have discernment groups, right? Isn't that their main focus is to help kids find out what God wants for their lives. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not talking in discernment. I'm not talking about priesthood 101 here. I'm talking about discerning God's will. Like, how do you do that and figuring that out? But to actually do that in a, in a more normalized way, uh, there has to be some foundational work that is done before those kids get there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And yes. they won't see anybody else doing it or that it's worthy. All right, everybody, I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Rhonda Grunewald to talk about my upcoming project. I've been mentioning this in the past few episodes of the podcast, but I have officially completed recording Dating Well, which is almost everything you need to know about dating and relationships as a Catholic. I am super excited about this project and excited that we are now in this next phase of post-production to start working on the edits and putting all the finishing touches on it so that hopefully we can release this soon. It is 19 lessons where I take you by the hand and walk you through every nook and cranny of dating. And I do it in a super easy to use fashion where every episode is about eight or 15 minutes so nothing is overwhelming. But I do challenge you to reflect about your relationship and about the ins and outs and what's going on and how to pray about this and how to do that. We get into it all in the Dating Well series. So super excited that the production side of it is done and now we're into post-production. So please continue to pray for this project that we can launch it soon and for its success and then to get into the hands of people who genuinely need it. So thank you so much for your support on this project and on this podcast. I'm truly grateful for you, listener. God bless you. Let's get back to this conversation with Rhonda. Yeah, because I think the other temptation that I've seen Sometimes when I think about like a right way or a wrong way to kind of promote vocations, uh, I, I'm I'm typically not a fan. I, I hear this sometimes from like people go to some of these large scale conferences, and I've heard it in different different ones, where maybe they do kind of like a I know this isn't what it's called, so my apologies, but like a like a like a priesthood altar call or something like that. You yeah. know, where it's like you feel like you know God has put up something on your heart this weekend that you're called to the priesthood, so so come run on up and and, and proclaim that. I, I don't, I just, I don't agree with that. I think in, in my estimation, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. I feel like that puts pressure on kids to, to you know, or maybe it's even sometimes you can get mixed in with kind of a a, a need to 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 want to be uh, uh, recognized, you know, which can kind of play into this as well, that I just think that for many reasons, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that. 
I think what you propose is something different, which is let this just be organic. Like the harder, see, the harder work is what you're proposing, which is you, you gotta you you gotta be invested in this from the ground up, and you gotta be um, you know invested in in the lives of people, and not just people, but the people that that are in your hands. So the people at the parish, the, the people, the students that you work with. Um, and have to genuinely be walking with them over the course of their formation and education, um, and and just being open to 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 encouraging this in in a very intentional and deliberate way, um, without again putting this type of pressure or or sensationalism or kind of celebrity status in some of these things that uh, that I just generally don't don't find helpful. Well, that's interesting. We have a lot of priests walking around who first heard their call at a Sumerville conference. Yeah, and I and I agree, and I know a lot of them do, um, and I think that that's beautiful. I, I guess I just mean specifically at, at the conference, running up at, at at you know proclaiming that. Yeah, I so, mean, but it, maybe that's it, just me. So no, I, it is. It's. I think it's. I've seen it because I've been to Sumerville conferences personally, and I was in awe of all of the hundreds of young men going up saying, yeah, I'm feeling a tug at my heart. First of all, I think it's fairly countercultural, even at a Steubenville conference, to stand up and walk forward to say, yeah, I have a tug at my heart to be called to the priesthood. Yeah, yeah. I think that's countercultural. So I don't feel like they're, they're oh, I, everybody's standing up. I better stand up too. You know, I, I, I feel like that is a pretty big deal. And same with the girls for, have you right. ever thought about being a sister or a nun? Um, that hundreds of them come forward. I feel like the Holy Spirit can use these conferences to move this, move them. And that doesn't mean that they're all going to be priests or sisters. We know that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we would be flush. Our seminaries, we'd be, oh, we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> we wouldn't need this. <laughs> so what's happening is that the spirit is being moved mm -hmm. in these kids to at least have thought about it, I think is a positive step in the right direction. At least they have thought about it. And they're 95% of them are not going to think about it again. Right. And because they go back, that's, See, to me, they go back to their parish again. They're not hearing their priests talking about vocations. I, I would I would gather 75% of priests don't ever talk about vocations. They tell their story one time when they land at the new parish, mm -hmm. how they became a priest, and then they don't talk about it again. So I, I feel like that that's part of the issue. That's why I love talking with priests. Right, right. Because if we have, if you want... If you want more priests and sisters, you get a sister in the classroom and you get a priest talking about it. Right. Because if you get holy, joyful witnesses in front of anybody, it's going to make you think about it. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. And uh, and so, OK, so so let's go into that then. All right. So why why focus then on the educational setting, you know, in, in the latest book and how does creating a culture of vocations at a at a at a school uh, whether it's a, even at homeschool or just a school, differ from then doing that at the parish setting? Well, at the parish setting, you're focused on um, what's happening at mass. A lot of times I talk about in hundredfold how they need to incorporate the school and how they can move the school into doing mm -hmm. it. This is way more intentional than just the parishioners who have maybe a vocation ministry saying, hey, school, come along for the ride. You should mm -hmm. be doing this. Let me in. Okay, that's different. Let me in. Like as a as the director of our vocation ministry at our parish at that time, I was having to ask the principal to let us in to do yeah, events and activities right. and that kind of, that's very different from every teacher mm -hmm. doing creating a culture of vocations in their classroom where throughout the year. I'm not talking about this one time a year right. where they uh, talk about the sacraments or holy orders or, <laughs> you know, that's or national vocation awareness week. Maybe they'll do something then. Um, I'm talking about on the regular all the time. And I'm not, and it's not the word vocation. That I'm talking about doing God's will. I'm talking about putting the saints in front of the kids. I'm talking about the universal call to holiness and leading the kids to holiness in all kinds of different ways. And 
that in itself, by even having resources around them, age appropriate books, you know, uh, just kind of steeping them into it so that it's natural and normal and doesn't seem, it shouldn't seem fake or phony or, oh, it's National Vocation Awareness Week, everybody, get ready, we're going to have the priest talk. You know, I mean, that is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about internal and organic, like you said, organic. So, which is different from the par- parish trying to come and do something within a school. Right. Yeah. So, so there's a distinction then is that, like you said, the, the parish coming in is always going to feel that it's somebody coming into the school rather than the school having its own culture, its own awareness, its own recognition of, of how to uh, have these types of, of conversations. And how to be able to to then um, again just create that and normalize it. I think that's that's the word that we're trying to accomplish here is just try to just try to normalize this whole process for any young person and everybody. I mean, it, it is those questions always come up. I joked earlier about you know in your own life, you know, you didn't write an essay, you know, what I want to be when I grow up. But the reason I even made that joke is because everybody knows that they've had. The, remember these things when you're eight or nine years old. I remember these these discussions. Or what do you want to be when you grow up? And so uh, to put even the possibility of of priesthood or 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 uh, or religious vocation into the mix is uh, is certainly um, just something that wants to be again again normalized and encouraged. Um, and so, what does that do then? You know, if if we if the school creates that, if a school is able to create that type of culture of vocation, what what, what outcomes are you hoping to see come out of that? Well, I would think that there'd be more yeses. Mm-hmm. There should be a wall of vocations, if you will. That, that's actually one of the activities is to create a wall of vocations at the school or parish or whatever setting, meaning that Father Troy went to the school and he's now ordained. Mm-hmm. Sister Amelia Mary went to the school and now she is professed sister. Um, putting their faces up and saying, showing to all that this school focuses on vocations. Mm-hmm. What we have found through our other parish-based workshops is that dioceses that are intentional about vocations in this way will find fruit. They, they will come forth. Mm-hmm. We, um, we've been, for example, Stockton, California. We gave workshops there in 2019, priest parishioners. They had no seminarians. 2019, none, no seminarians, no discerners in the pipeline even. They didn't have a pipeline. They didn't even know what they were doing. Um, God bless them. They just didn't, there was no plan. Right. So vocation ministry comes in, teach them all the things, show them how to have a, um, have a house of formation uh, or house of discernment for men who possibly could have a call. Um, now within 22 months, they have seven seminarians and now have like six men at the house of formation and other pipelines as well. Mm-hmm. So this is just indicative. I, I use the priestly numbers because that's it's the easier. Of vocations have that, but right. that's giving me an indication that they're focusing on the vocations altogether. Um, so if that holds true and we've seen it over and over and over again in other dioceses um, that then a school or a catechism program that really does focus on this should see some yeses at the end. Mm-hmm. It, it is normal. Let, let's let's be clear. It is absolutely normal for a young man or woman to want to be married. They should all want. I mean, meaning we're that we're naturally predisposed mm-hmm. to marriage. Discerning these other vocations, that's the that's the other. That's the non-normal. I mean, we're, we want it to be more normal. I'm just saying that it's not because everybody's predisposed to marriage. Now, what I find, unfortunately, in our culture, now it is countercultural to even be married. Married in the Catholic yeah. Church, yeah. especially. So I feel like we have to do more work in that arena. Like, I really don't think 50 years ago, that that would have that conversation would ever have been needed, like to to raise up marriage and to lift them up and to show young people happy, healthy, holy marriages, 
in hopes that they say yes, just because they were saying yes. Right. Yeah. Because again, the culture supported it. The culture was what allowed for this to be the norm. And, uh, and so that the culture doesn't support pursuit and holiness, doesn't pursue, doesn't promote overtly Christian ideals anymore. And so certainly, you know, all these things become more and more countercultural. Um, so, it, you know, I'm interested then, like, what did the workshops entail? Or rather, like, like if somebody's listening to this right now and they are a mom or a dad or, or uh, and reluctant to have these conversations with their kids, even at an early age, or maybe they are an educator uh, or some type of school setting and not really sure how to, they want to, they're all gung-ho. They're like, yeah, I believe everything the saying. Absolutely. Where do I begin? Like, how, how do I begin to transform my peer setting or my educational semi classroom? into into this this culture of vocations so it's takes intentional in, intentionality and and it's going to take prayer to figure out whether or not that's what you should be doing um mean we hope that all of our schools would say yes that our this should be happening um but to uh to bring it into your school setting or you may just be a lone teacher and you don't know how in the world you would get a, a principal to say yes to this. Mm-hmm. Um, they can grab a copy of the book, The Harvest, at vocationministry.com and walk it down to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent and you want to just be educated on some of the things you can do in your family, um, then get a copy of the harvest, go to vocationministry.com. There are all kinds of resources for families, for educators. Um, so there are a lot of things. If you just wanted to step your toe in it, mm-hmm. let's just say, you know, you go, I'm not sure. Should I start with the, the book is organized. All the activities are organized in phases. So, so that the ground is, is, is very firm that you're building this upon. Um, and I learned this the hard way, and I've seen it happen many times where uh, a parish, and by extension in the school, will take on some big activity. And it takes 10 people to put this big activity on. Right. In the first year of being a ministry or just saying, I want to possibly do this. And then they're so exhausted, they're burned out, and they're, not, they, yeah. they're done. It's not sustainable. Okay. That's not a sustainable model. It's not sure. sustainable. So... Mm-hmm. Phase one activities are very cheap, if not free. They're going to focus on prayer and awareness and education and starting some affirmation of those who've said yes. So simple ways to like, for example, every priest should be asked to fill out a get to know me priest questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And it's what's your favorite hobby? What's your favorite candy? How'd you learn your faith? What's your favorite hymn? Uh, all of these things, right? So that we can learn as kids and parishioners or students how to affirm them and to say thank you. Um, and if, if they love books, it's you know it's getting them a maybe a Barnes and Noble gift card. Mm-hmm. Or at schools, the best thing gift that a kids can do for priests is to draw them pictures and write them notes. That they love that. They love it. But that's just not, it's just not happening. We just have to be more intentional about how we go about doing these things and making sure that our kids know they should be saying thank you to our priests. And thank you to, if there are sisters at the parish, we should be thanking them. Uh, And during National Marriage Week or other times, again, it doesn't have to be a week, but this is the week that a lot of it is done is that we're saying thank you to uh, married couples that we can look up to. So, okay, maybe it's not even my own coming from a broken home. I, you know, if we would have done that exercise and, and, and we had to write a note to my parents, that would have been awkward. Find any couple that you, that are, who are married that you look up to and write them a thank you note for putting that example of marriage in front of you. And what do they, what do they do to inspire you? Mm-hmm. So those are some very practical things that that need to be done. I mean, besides like the very, I mean, how simple to put the seminarian poster or religious information poster up at the schools in a prominent place and not just, you know, in the by the back bathroom, you know, um, making it making it that, that this is important enough. Right. 
So the the practical suggestions you've been talking about are great in terms of like thinking about ways that we can raise our our gratitude and our um, first and foremost our awareness of vocations, but then our gratitude for particular people in our lives that have played a role in in our understanding of the priesthood or religious life. And so, so certainly that means that we need to have, like you said earlier, enough priests, enough religious in each of these contexts to even have those personal encounters or enough holy marriages to even have uh, those personal encounters. Um, but let's say somebody like you talked about your circumstance, you know, obviously you grew up not in a, not in a neighbor religious home, but we have kids like that in our parochial schools, especially here in New Orleans where parochial school system is larger than the, the public school system. And so we get a wide wrath, wide, you know, not wide variety of, of students that come into, into the schools. So what if somebody like that who who isn't coming from even a Catholic context or even a religious context, or maybe they are, they don't even know necessarily where to begin on that. Where 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 would you encourage and in, in what, what's an exercise you would encourage in that type of situation? Well, first of all, most of most of them probably have no idea that marriage is a vocation. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Let's start talking about priesthood, religious life, sacramental marriage. And what does it mean to have a sacramental marriage? How about let's do some age-appropriate education? You know, there are plenty of curricula out there. There There really are. There are free ones. There are some that are paid to, to do just that, to educate our kids on what this looks like. And why, and and that marriage is a vocation to be discerned, Mm -hmm. just like priesthood and religious life should be discerned. So um, we've got to start there, and and just re, uh, not not it's not a programming. It's just that general awareness, so that they're steeped in it and they just know it from early on. That oh yeah. So I could be a I could be a priest or I could be a, a married man with, and be a father. I whatever I'm called to, I'm called to be a father. I'm called to be a mother. Mm-hmm. It's just whether or not I'm called to be a a physical father or a spiritual father. Right. Like you know, and just putting it in those terms and say everyone is called to this, and and not everybody has a um, the witnesses they need at the, you know, like, or they feel like they need, like, I, you know, I didn't have that in my life. Um, so I say, you know, we've got to put that in front of them intentionally somehow. So for example, I don't know if you know that there is a community of very traditional sisters inhabit that read stories into a video camera. So it's like, they're talking to students. Okay. So you can, and age, the, the wide range of stories they're reading to these kids, it is so fun. Wow. So that it's perfect for, first of all, you could have that happening in the, the nursery up at church, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're reading click, clack, moo, you know, <laughs> to the kids. I mean, so we've got to put sisters in front of them. I mean, most of many places in the United States, in North America, don't see sisters on a regular basis. And it's, they don't. And, and so we if we can't get them to us, to our kids, to somehow we've got to put them in front of them. So go to vocationministry.com. You'll find all those kind of resources. But like even the Carmelite Sisters of the Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles, they're beautiful. Um, uh, they're not cloistered. They're a contemplative, active community. So they're prayerful and they get together and pray like six to eight times a day and have a holy hour mass and all right. Like we, you would traditionally think of, but then they also are teachers and they are, they run nursing homes and in LA, well, they put together a whole curriculum themselves so that you see them and, and can be very helpful in that realm. Yeah. Because so many people don't have that witness in front of them. Right. So again, we go back to the sense that like it, it, it's about awareness and, and all the practical suggestions that you've been speaking about already are, are, are excellent. And said that I'll have uh, links in the show notes to vocationministry.com. Um, and, and I think what, I, what, what I'm feeling in, in the way that you're, you're speaking about this in, um, is that if this community is 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 founded if this if this culture exists then people when when they have the questions kind of arise however old they are they have a place that they can go to 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 talk about these things and so it's not just like i think that sometimes could be a mistake is that if you're somebody who's discerning 
that you feel like you have to figure it out on your own or or, or maybe you are discerning and things is what you said earlier that you, you had the call or you felt something early on but you didn't know where to go with it and so having again a community that supports these type of open questions about discernment and about um, accompaniment is, uh, is is really the answer and just like we talk about you know it takes a village to, to raise a child and you know it takes a village to uh, to to you know, discern uh, your your vocation. And really that's the way it's supposed to be because even though a call to celibacy, again, unless you're called certainly to to the hermit lifestyle, um, which is very, very unique of a call, um, even, even in a cloistered uh, monastery or convent, you're still called to community. Um, and and so diocesan priesthood is, is, is even though even if the, the parish priest may live by himself, he is a father of a community. So you're, you're called to community and so that call should be supported by the community of of, of your upbringing, and uh, and I think that's what each of these practical suggestions you've been speaking about. Their aim is to creating that that community that really does foster this and and keep this open ended. Um, so, I guess my couple of final questions here as we're kind of wrapping this up. If it seems like you said this earlier that I'll be, and I know this because of my work in the seminary in, in priestly formation, every diocese does have. Um, a vocations office and does have, and sometimes even in that office, a director of vocations, there can be a couple guys who are in that office, one who might be the director of seminary specifically when the guys are in the seminary and kind of manages all the external formation stuff. But then sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a priest who um, serves kind of as like the diocesan promoter for vocations. And he's the one who's typically at each of the events. And, and if, and if somebody has a, he's the point of contact that if the pastor says, Hey, I have a young man who's thinking about you know, priesthood. Can can you speak with you? And and so he becomes the first kind of line of of conversation officially. You know, from the diocesan perspective. Um, so, what role do you view this kind of promoter, so to speak, this diocesan office of vocations? What role does that have in what you're proposing with regards to vocation ministry? So they should be seeing the serious discerners. Okay. They should be receiving the men after they've been walked with by. The parishioners, by their priest, by their own parish priest. That every parish priest is supposed to be the vocation director for their own parish. But too much of the time, we've said, "Well, there's this priest, and he has this title, of vocation director. So we're just going to let him do it all." Right, right, right. Yeah. That's... For every family, let's just have him drive around and have dinner with every family in the diocese, and he could just take care of it. And that's getting us nowhere. We have siloed it so much. We've said, okay, vocations work. There's an office for that. So they're just going to take care of it. Instead of taking care of, as you said, if our priests are the spiritual fathers of our communities, they should be walking with the young men and women of the parish. They are the ones who know them best. Is it really a good idea if Johnny at 14 finally opens up to Father Tim, the parish priest, and says, I might be thinking about the priesthood. Is it a good idea, do you think, that Father Tim go, hold on a minute, Johnny. Well, I've got somebody for you to talk with. Ding, 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 ding. Let's dial up Father John, the vocation director. You've never met him. You don't know him. And he lives two hours away. But let's have you talk to him. That is the disaster waiting to happen because another lost vocation will be happening. So we need... The kids, while they are still young, as I've, we've talked about, they're hearing the call. They need to be walked with, encouraged to seek holiness, keep the sacraments close, maybe give them a, a pamphlet to read here or there, ask them to come to adoration, you know, all, all of these things. Let's, let's get them involved in parish life. Let's have them be a lector. Or an EMHC, if that's happening at your parish, you know, let's get them involved versus just turning them over because that's the easy thing to do. Yes. Um, and, yes. and for families, I would love to give a couple of very practical tips to how can they encourage their kids to even think about this? Okay. okay. So first of all, let's be praying. <laughs> We've got to be a family of prayer and it can be very simple prayers. So A, I would add a, a prayer for your um, parish priest at the end, at, at when you eat dinner every night, 
and you say, bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts. I want you to add, and God bless. When you go through and you God bless all the people in your life, add your priest in there, okay? So they need to be hearing you praying for the priest. Secondly, nightly prayers, like for the little ones, start early. Okay, so I, I got this from a mama who, a, a mom of a Nashville Dominican sister and a monk. Okay, so two of her four kids have said yes in a very radical way, right? And she said it was because every night she said, dear God, I know that you have a big plan for Amelia and I, I'm praying for her that she asks you about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like on a daily basis, just putting that out there because kids are naturally inquisitive, right? They're like, oh my gosh, God has a plan for me. I should find out what it is. Right, right. And, and, and through that conversation, the, and so, so it doesn't have to be rocket science. I don't want people to think they have to have these huge, big activities in their home all the time. Get your kids to mass. Get, keep the sacraments close. Let them know you're open. To, you expect them to discern what God wants for them. Mm-hmm. These yes. are the main, main pieces of that puzzle. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, again, I, it just it's it's all about keeping it kind of natural and organic, and and stepping into that space and not being afraid to have these conversations. Um, and so, you know, even even our conversations about you know we homeschool up to high school and then high school now you know we have one who's a senior, and we've been having we've been speaking about his decision to go to college as a discernment. That's the language we've been using because it's the right it's the right language. It is a discernment process. We're going to explore different schools. We're going to assess the different options. And, and from there, we're going to continue to pray that, that God will open up the right doors and, and close the ones that he doesn't want and make it clear for him where he wants him to go to school. And so again, just like that, that's a process that he needs to learn in his life of how to make decisions and how to be able to discern um, so that when he's in college and then thinking about whatever the, the next thing is for him, that he'll be open to whatever that is and have a process of being able to see that. And so not being able, not, again, not just not being afraid of, 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 of speaking about these things, you know, in, in a spiritual context. Um, and so it's beautiful. Again, I, I think, you know, the church is built from the, the way that the Catholic church is designed is that it's supposed to be that the parish is, is at the, is, is is the seat of renewal. The parish is where the spiritual activity happens. Um, in the, it's the lifeblood of of the spiritual life in many ways. And so, if yes, while grateful for you know it, apostolates and in, in, in other um, ministries that that ex- accentuate that, it's the parish though that is where all these things are. It's where the stuff is supposed to happen. And uh, and so. And again, connected to that, a parochial school is a ministry of the parish. And so, again, it's an outreach of a parish um, or some of our Catholic high schools that aren't connected to a parish are certainly outreaches of within the diocese. But that that it's supposed to be a boots on the ground faith, you know, where, where these things are, are, are grounded in, in the relationships of the communities that, that God has called us to. And so, again, I think this is what you're saying is that if, if these communities are just a little bit more open, a little bit more intentional about how to do it, if they don't know how to do that, you know, resources are there to, to make that happen. Create a game plan. Um, don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Take it a step at a time and and just let it unfold as it needs to. And organically, you'll see kind of things happen. So, you know, Rhonda, it's been a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, just a couple questions here. I know you've said it at least already throughout, but if people have more questions, you know, for you or, or the work that you're doing, where can they go to get some more resources? Vocationministry.com is so full of resources. You will be like, what? I had no clue that is all there. So um, whether you're a discerner and you want to know some steps that you can take, maybe some resources for you, that's there. Um, families go to resources, look under families. There's a whole list of things you can do uh, for uh, for at the parish. What should you? What? How can you engage your family at the parish? And then within the family context, what can you do? Um, and and so much more. So if there's a parish tab for those who want to be, you know, get something going in their parish. And same with education. So um, I really just hope people will will say this is worthy 
um, we should be doing whatever we can. What is our sphere of influence? Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not, you know, maybe you're, you have, you know, the little kids and there's no way for you to do anything else. That's okay. Just know that your sphere of influence is very important right. and leading kids to say little yeses along the way. So when the big call comes, they're e- more easily able to say yes. That's huge. I mean, we want uh, we want our schools, parishes, and families to be saint makers. Yes, that's what they're supposed to be. <laughs> that's that's why they exist. That's why the church exists. It's it's the only reason why the church exists. It's, it's to bring people closer to heaven and to guide people. It's the path that opens that up. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> Amen. 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 Okay. Well, Rhonda, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much. I'll, again, I'll have links to each of those there on the show notes. Um, for people to check out. But a final question here, I ask all my first time guests, uh, Rhonda, what gives you hope? Well, we, um, I'm very confident. If we're talking about in the vocation context, I'm very confident God is still calling. So I I get a lot of hope out of that. And the fact that um, even in the midst of our church burning, if you will, in a lot of ways, because there are a lot of problems in our church. Thank you. And they're very front and center on it in every newspaper. Correct. Um, that there are still men and women ready to defend it and run into the burning building and say, yes, whether whatever that, I mean, because it, it's not just, it's a married couple too saying, I'm going to go get married in the Catholic church right now. That's running into that burning building. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a lot of hope. Amen. Amen. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda, for joining me on the podcast. God bless you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. God bless you too. Amen. Well, that does it. I hope that this offered some practical suggestions. If you are a DRE or an educator or even just a parent wondering how to have this conversation with your kids, I pray that this episode offered some practical suggestions for you to think through. Check out her website, Vocation Ministry. Dot com so that you can find out more about it. And yeah, so if you have any thoughts or comments about vocations or the sermon, please check me out at Dr. Mario Sacasa on Facebook or on Instagram. I love being able to get feedback from my listeners to be able to hear your stories and how this podcast is helping you in your life and in your journey of faith. So God bless you and have a great day.